We have a lot of people on stage here today, so that's, uh, that's fun. We are in the middle of a series on, on human sexuality, and uh, I just want to thank you for your grace in, in uh, accepting this conversation, engaging in this conversation. It's beautiful to see the way that God is working healing among us. We know that it's a delicate conversation, but it is so necessary in our day. Uh, today, the, the series title is Hashtag Me Free, Hashtag Alive, and you can open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Next week, we'll conclude the series with a talk on the, the church as family. What does it mean to be family to one another? The Winter Olympics conclude today, and the Winter Olympics are such a great spectacle of snowboarders racing down mountainsides, speed skaters racing across slick ice surfaces. Those who race, they need to keep their eyes on the prize, on the goal of the race. They need to exercise personal discipline. They need coaching and accountability along the way. If you are an athlete racing down a mountainside and another athlete cuts in front of you, that obstruction may end your race to Olympic victory in just a matter of milliseconds. Paul, he often talks about the Christian life as as a race. Uh, He doesn't want to run in vain. He doesn't want to stumble. He wants to end well. He has his eyes focused on the prize. And for Paul, the prize is to know Jesus personally, to know Jesus and to be transformed into his likeness. We're called to run the same race. What could cause us to stumble? What might trip us up? What might even bind us? In Galatians chapter 5, Paul affirms what Pastor Willie affirmed last weekend, that Jesus sets us free to live in freedom. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom, it stands at the beginning for emphasis. Jesus sets us free to live disentangled. We are to live disentangled. Free from religious legalism, Paul says in Galatians. Free from the powers of this present evil age, he says. Free from the bondage of slavery to sin. Paul runs toward the freedom, the joy, the prize of knowing Jesus. And he urges his readers to not allow themselves to be entangled again by a yoke of slavery to sin. Paul cries in verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? That word hindered means who, who cut in on you? You were running the race and someone, something has cut in on you, obstructed you, enticed you, destabilized you. Bondage it begins with our choice to be entangled. Something entices us, tempts us, but it's our choice to be entangled that binds us. In verse 8, Paul says, This persuasion did not come from the God who called you to freedom. Verse 9, watch out. A little leaven will leaven the whole lump. Something apparently small or hidden can contaminate the whole if left unchecked. Well, 
What might entice a follower of Jesus who has been set free? Might, what might, might enter as something small or hidden and eventually bind the person that has decided to follow Jesus? Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. We can be enslaved to almost anything. It might be a career, a relationship, a bank account, the money it represents, power, sex. Almost anything can enslave us. In verse 13, Paul writes, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What might be an opportunity for our sinful desires? Among those things listed by Paul later on in verse 19 are sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. The word for sexual immorality there, it's an umbrella term that encompasses everything in the area of sexual activity outside of covenant marriage. We get our word pornography from the word that's used there in verse 19. One of the great entanglements of our day for children, for teens, for adults is internet pornography. In fact, it's becoming a public health concern in Canada. It's actually a concern of the state Margaret Wendt, columnist from the Globe and Mail, wrote last weekend, our screens and cell phones are direct conduits to gushers of pornography on demand in forms and volumes that are simply stupefying. Very sadly, internet pornography has become the main source of sex education for many children. It is the cause of much sexual dysfunction in our day, perversion. It causes increasing levels of infidelity and divorce. The statistics may surprise you. They surprised me. One in four of all internet searches are for pornography. One in four. 36% of the internet is porn. Pornhub, the biggest online site, receives 75 million visits daily. One-third of porn viewers are women. One in three teens encounters porn daily or weekly by accident without seeking it out. In fact, we can say that inappropriate sexual material is more difficult to avoid than to access in our day. Just to give you an example, Pastor Ron wanted to sing a new song here at at, at Willingdon, and so I googled the song. I wanted to read the lyrics. And the lyrics came up on my screen, of course, but to the right Of the lyrics, there were pop-ups with links to pornographic sites. That's how easy it is. It's readily available, even when you're Googling a worship song. 49% of Canadians think viewing porn is morally acceptable. Teens and young adults, they consider not recycling your garbage as being more immoral than viewing porn. So is it just the world out there, or does it actually impact us as the church, the body of Christ? CovenantEyes.com, it's an internet accountability and filtering system. They report that 50% of all Christian men and 20% of all Christian women confess to being addicted to pornography. So yes, 
It does affect us. The greatest threat to the church today is not out there, it's inside. It's within us and the choices that we make. Why would a Christian be drawn to pornography? Well, sometimes it's just childhood curiosity. Sometimes it's teenage boredom. Sometimes it's adult loneliness. For some, it's a way of coping with stress. It presents itself as a private avenue to to sexual arousal with no fear of being rejected. It's the most serious threat to the church today. Sexual addiction, the reason it is such a threat is that it's actually an act of worship. Instead of worshiping the true God, when we engage in, in sexual activity that is illicit, we're worshiping self, pleasure, and sex. It actually blocks our true worship of God. Sexual addiction, it always gets worse. The longer a person is involved in pornography, the more likely they are to move into a genre that at one time they thought was detestable, reprehensible, perverse. Sexual addiction actually hijacks the sanctification process. And so a person has decided for Jesus, but pornography has cut in, caused the person to stumble. It loads a person with guilt and shame and convinces one that choosing Christ-likeness, choosing holiness is actually impossible, at least for oneself. Maybe it's there for others, but for the person that's stumbling, it's no longer there. In sexual addiction, it kills intimacy. You know, we were created for relational intimacy. And internet pornography, it, it, it offers that to us, seemingly. But it actually keeps us from intimacy with God, with spouse, and with others around us. So what is the way to freedom? How can we live in the freedom that we just sang about, not just here in a worship service, but daily, every day. I think one of the best ways to learn about steps to freedom is to hear the testimony of people who have learned to walk in freedom. And so I'd like to invite to the podium Richard and Hesed Young. Richard and Hesed, they moved from Hong Kong to Vancouver recently. They're new members here at Willingdon, and they have a wonderful testimony. So let's welcome them here. Richard and Hesed, God bless you. Thank you for the kind introduction. Good morning. I was just reminded, actually, that uh, looking at the cross and in worship, how unworthy I am to be standing up here in front of you all this morning. And I want to remind you that it's not our story per se, but it's God's story and his work in our lives. So, I grew up in a broken home. I was raised by my loving single mother alongside my half-brother, Ryan, My parents met after previous divorces but did not marry one another. And I blame myself for this for the longest time. Unmarried and pregnant, the doctors in Edmonton where I was born encouraged my mother to have an abortion, but she refused. When I was born, my dad denied my existence through lawyers and a paternity test and and even refused to sign my birth certificate. I was excluded from my father's side of the family, and it wasn't until I was about eight years old that I met my dad's other son, my half-brother Jason, who, by God's grace, is here today. So, um, 
You can imagine how much I resented my dad for this. Eventually, we saw each other every other week, and we, um, did, but we didn't have a great relationship. We played sports, and a few hours on a Sunday afternoon really wasn't enough uh, to fill in for the full-time dad that I needed him to be. When I was 10, I had a, a few other traumatic events in my life in addition to my father wound. I was uh, exposed to pornography at a friend's house. I was instantly hooked, and that began um, my masturbation for almost every day for about 20 years. My half-brother Ryan left home to move across Canada in with his dad, and I lost my best friend overnight. And then a family friend treating me like his son took advantage of my innocence and molested and abused me for several years. By sixth grade, I was hospitalized and diagnosed with uh, Tourette's syndrome and obsessive compulsive disorder, and masturbation was my primary coping mechanism for the next five years. By 17, I started drinking, and that led to smoking marijuana. At 27, I moved to Beijing in China and, uh, for an internship, and that's where I experienced the high of being uh, unfaithful and cheating on a girlfriend for the first time. I moved to Shanghai and then Hong Kong, where I lived for nine years, uh, and the noose of sexual bondage and addiction got tighter and tighter. I was promiscuous, an alcoholic, and abusing harder drugs. One-night stands uh, at bars led to massage parlors and sleeping with prostitutes. I was now hooked on hashish and cocaine, and I wasted all of my money fueling this addictive behavior, and I was fired from multiple jobs in the process. By 27, my life was a complete mess, and my body started reacting under the stress that I was putting it through. I got very sick, and I had an HIV scare. You'd think that that was the wake-up call that I needed to make transformation, but nothing changed, because I, I was still gripped by pornography and masturbation and drugs and alcohol and sex and partying, and I quickly slipped back into my old addictive patterns. I grew up in a missionary family to two God-fearing, loving parents, a Costa Rican father and a Hong Kong Chinese mother and an older sister. By God's grace, I believed in Jesus as my Savior at a very young age. My parents lived out, and they instilled Christian values in the home, not without failing, but I do recall them extending grace and forgiveness to one another and really trusting and depending on God through the hard times. The most difficult time in my life was watching my mom battle cancer. This began in my early adolescence with periods of intense treatment, miraculous healing, and the fourth and final battle with cancer ending in my mid-twenties. Though I take full responsibility for all the sinful choices and behaviors that I made in my life, I never fully grasped how the ups and downs in her health would fully impact me until later in life. My first struggle with my faith began when I started wrestling with the question, why? Why my mother, who loved the Lord with all her heart and dedicated her life to serve God, why did she have to suffer so much? These cracks in my faith only became more pronounced when I left the shelter of my godly home. In fact, I crumbled. The first years of my university, I lived for me. Like a prodigal son, I turned my back from God. I distanced myself from my parents and my sister, and I looked for security, for comfort, for love, 
and acceptance in all the wrong places. I immersed myself in the party scene and my grades hit rock bottom. Though I was in faithful, uh, committed relationships with uh, loyal partners, they weren't Christians. And I was torn between a sense of comfort and security in these relationships, but also a tugging in my heart, knowing I was living in sin. When my mom passed away in 2009, this bubble I was living in finally burst. All these years, despite my rebellious ways, she didn't push me away. In fact, she continuously prayed for me, and she lovingly reminded me of God's truths. Now that she was gone, I felt like this final umbilical cord of my faith was also gone. In my deep grief and in my loss, I repented and I broke ties from my old life. I was able to return into the loving arms of my earthly father and my heavenly father and developed a closer, more intimate relationship with God. I reconnected with my family and at that point, I had zero desire to be in a dating relationship with anybody. Six months later, I met Richard. I was not a Christian when Hesed and I met, and looking back, neither one of us was in a good place to be in a dating relationship, but against our better judgment, we dated anyways. She shared her faith with me, and I was intrigued, so I invited myself to church. I went once and was brought to tears by the weight of the disastrous life that I was living, but I left unchanged. I had strong feelings for Hesed, and I had plans to go back to Canada that Christmas, and I did, and Uh, But I ended up having sex with two different women on two different occasions. And when I came back to Hong Kong, I kept that secret to myself. I went to church one Sunday, and on the wallpaper next to the seat where I was sitting was 2 Corinthians 5.17, which read, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new has come. I broke down in tears. I desperately wanted to become a new person to right the wrongs of my past and start fresh because I'd hurt so many people. A few nights later, I was at the Alpha course and the the weight and the evidence of Christianity was overwhelming for me and I gave my life to Christ. I knew for the first time that I had a, a loving heavenly father and that his son Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose from the dead. I knew I was saved that night and I was no longer an enemy of God but a child of God. Within a month of my conversion, I was baptized. But while I immediately stopped swearing and desiring to do harder drugs, I continued to secretly struggle with lust, pornography, and masturbation. Yes, I was born again, and I had a new identity in Christ, but I held on to my addictive mindset and coping behaviors. I put a lot of pressure on Hesed in our our relationship to push physical boundaries, and that quietly contaminated our relationship. We loved each other and wanted to get married, but God put a wise pastor in our lives who refused to start premarital counseling with us until all secrets were brought from darkness into the light. I knew that confessing was the right thing to do, but I was a coward and afraid. I delayed and delayed my disclosure until one day, led by the Holy Spirit, Hesed confronted me about my cheating. I was tired of running from God and living a lie, So I chose to tell her everything, and that night we broke up. 
As my previous relationships were with non-Christians, seeing Richard so thirsty for Christ really did catch my attention. Though I was growing in my faith in certain areas, I would still say I was on a very shaky foundation. I was firm in my conviction in certain areas, but especially on the emotional and the physical side, I allowed my boundaries to be pushed, and I started prioritizing my relationship with Richard over the one with God. After dating Richard for about a year and a half on a trip away with my father, I was stirred by the Holy Spirit to pray about our relationship. We had our challenges, but overall things seemed to be moving in the right direction. We were about to start premarital counseling. The simple prayer went something like this. God, should I continue in my relationship with Richard? I didn't hear an audible voice from God, but I did feel like the word no was almost seared into my retina. The answer was crystal clear. No, I should not continue in my relationship. The night I came back, I confronted Richard and I asked him if there were any instances of unfaithfulness since we began dating that he wanted to share with me. He confessed to me about two sexual relationships he had with two women early on when we were dating and one later on in our relationship. I was utterly crushed. I felt deceived, like our whole relationship was a total lie. I felt betrayed. I'd poured out my heart and my trust into him. I even told him on our first date how important loyalty was to me. I felt not good enough, not special enough, that I was not good enough or special enough that he had to look outside of our relationship for more. I felt angry, hurt, and manipulated that his selfishness to hold on to our relationship kept him from telling me the truth and deprived me of the choice of whether or not to stay or to leave. We both decided that this relationship was over and we needed to wholeheartedly surrender ourselves to God for healing. After a period of resisting to Richard's suggestion to join a group for support, I finally faced my fear of having to share my deepest pain with strangers. I joined a women's group called Betrayal and Beyond And in this safe and loving environment, I found empathy, acceptance, love, prayer, and support with women who were willing to be completely vulnerable in their pain and in their healing. Together with God as our anchor and his word as our hope, we confronted and uncovered the traumas in our pasts. We demolished the stronghold of lies about ourselves from the betrayal and before the betrayal, and we replaced them with God's truths. We identified the unhealthy patterns about ourselves and in our relationships and developed healthy, holy boundaries, putting Christ at the center of our lives, recognizing him as our first love, the only one who can and will satisfy all your needs and bring us enduring comfort and hope in our brokenness. I'd like to share a few verses with you that really spoke to my heart in this very painful and raw period of my life. Revelation 2, 4, and 5. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. With my trust completely destroyed and shattered, I turned to the one who is trustworthy. 
2 Thessalonians 3, 3, and 5. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. And lastly, in the pit of my despair, a reminder of how Christ is enough for me. Psalm 103, 2 to 5. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things. A few weeks after my disclosure, in the pit of my despair, I decided to go drinking with a friend from church. I was in pain and gave in to my addiction once again, and I woke up the next morning in a place where I swore that I would never return. But this time, I realized that I had defiled the temple of the Holy Spirit. And like Psalm 51.4 says, I had sinned against God and done what is evil in His sight. I still loved God, so I prayed and asked for forgiveness. And I still loved Hesed, so I called her and told her what I had done. She was naturally upset and very sad. Her heart broke for me in my addiction, and she didn't yell at me like I had expected. In fact, she told me she forgave me and that she loved me as her sister in Christ. Those words were simply too much for me to handle, and I broke down in tears. That night, July 22, 2012, I was gripped by God's grace for the first time, and my relationship with him changed. I knew that he forgave me, even though I had just done the unthinkable. I also knew that others really loved me and that I could be vulnerable with them about my addiction. I repented, took ownership of my sin, I didn't blame anybody else for it, and I sought healing. I knew isolation would kill me, so I needed community. I signed up for Pure Desire, which is a men's group uh, for uh, sexual purity that our church in Hong Kong had just started running. And I walked intimately and vulnerably with five other men every week for over a year. We challenged one another to understand and apply God's call for purity and holiness for all of his people, men, women, young, and old. I had to completely surrender to God's plan and timing and depend on him alone for my transformation. This was humbling, to say the least, but I had tasted God's goodness in salvation, and I knew that he had something better in store for me. So I trusted him. Each passing day, by his grace and the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life, I was able to walk closer in relationship with Jesus. By taking my thoughts captive, I was able to break free from sexual addiction one good decision at a time. And I no longer ran from my feelings and emotions, but instead I confronted them head-on, knowing that God was by my side every step of the way. I immersed myself in the Bible and prayer and counseling, and I had to be honest with God, myself, and others about my struggles. I had to make tough choices to create healthy boundaries and get my finances in order. I deleted and canceled, uh, canceled my internet subscription and TV. I deleted Facebook and contact details and emails of exes, essentially distancing myself from anything that was going to lead me back into relapse. I quickly learned, though, that it wasn't about performance, that if I did relapse, I wouldn't be kicked out of the kingdom, so to speak, or lose my salvation. No. 
I would be able to confess, to receive grace and forgiveness, and to pick myself up off the floor and move on. It wasn't easy, but it was the only step and path to recovery. It was necessary. Here are just many of uh, God's promises that he helped, that helped me stay on this path. Colossians 1.13 and 14 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will give you a way out so that you can endure it. Hesed and I were apart for nine months, and during this time, God helped me establish sobriety, and, that, and Hesed started hearing about the positive things that were happening in my life from people at church. We both grew closer to God, and after months of prayer, we realized that we were ready for a new relationship. So we started a new one. We started afresh with a Christ-centered foundation uh, based on transparency and truth at all costs. It was non-negotiable. We established firm physical boundaries and kept to them. We started premarital counseling with that same pastor, and six months later I proposed, and five months later in June 2014 we were married. Our new relationship is far better than anything we could have imagined. Trusting God to tear us down was the catalyst for him to build us back up again, rebuild us towards healing and recovery. I've been healed from sexual addiction for almost five years and have experienced countless blessings from walking with God in faith and lifting up my sexuality to him. I've been reconciled with my father and my brother Ryan, and we have a baby on the way. So, so many blessings. I wish I could tell you everything. But please hear me. That doesn't mean that I don't get tempted but that I'm aware of the weapons that the enemy has forged against me, and I'm able to now cope in healthy ways, and so can you. So if there's anyone here today who wants to experience true and lasting freedom from the bondage of sexual addiction, or if you need support because you have been betrayed from a spouse, we'd like to encourage you with the following steps to freedom in Christ. Number one, surrender to God. Surrender your life wholeheartedly to God. Trust and depend in his plan and timing for your healing. To break free from denial and shame. Recognize you are powerless over your struggle and allow God's grace and his love to set you free. Number three, reach out for support. God desires that healing take place in Christ-focused, loving, and vulnerable community. Willingdon is that community and has resources available for you. We'll be starting a a men's group dealing with sexual purity uh, on March 6th. And there will be a women's group, Betrayal and Beyond, that will be starting soon. If you need support, just reach out to the number on your bulletin. Sexual addiction is not about sex. It is at the core, like Pastor Ray touched on, an intimacy and attachment disorder. I forgot it again. Number four. (laughs) Sorry. Number four, stay committed. This process will be difficult, 
But if you stay the course, making one good decision at a time, God promises you lasting victory. Sexual addiction is not about sex. Can't repeat that enough. It's not about sex. It is at the core an intimacy and attachment disorder. It's about how you and I relate to the world around us. Research shows that people will turn back to their addiction if they don't replace it with something better. But brothers and sisters, you and I all know that it's not replacing it with something, it's replacing it with someone. So surrender your addiction to God and let him first transform your heart through an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ who is our liberating king. You're not alone in your struggles, but only in Christ can you find this everlasting victory and hope. Thank you for listening. Thank you, you, Richard and Hesed, for sharing uh, so graciously with us, transparently, honestly. Your testimony is is a gift to all of us. They shared that we break free from sexual impurity, one good decision at a time. And so when we're struggling with sexual impurity, we need to slow down and take some firm steps. Steps to freedom are steps empowered by the Spirit. Empowered by the Spirit. We don't walk alone. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. To walk by the Spirit is to walk in step with the Spirit. That word walk, it's a, it's a word used in military formation. And so you come in line with the leader. If we're followers of Jesus, then we submit to his leadership and we walk by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us, counsels us along the way. As Richard and Hesed have shared, walking in freedom, it requires a complete surrender to Jesus. We need to recognize how powerless we are without his help. We repent for sin, we own our sin, we surrender to Jesus, and we ask for his help. We ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. God speaks to us with kindness. Remember Dr. Ewan referred to Romans chapter 2 verse 4 that and he said God's kindness led him to repentance. Richard talked about being gripped by God's grace. God speaks to each one of us by name and comes to us with grace, with an offer of healing, of wholeness. It's there for us. It's there for all of us. And so I pray to God for a spirit of freedom among us, a spirit that only he can give us, We need to walk with one another. That's one of the calls for Willingdon Church to be a a safe, a, a redemptive family where people can be authentic and share their stories, confess their sins, and support one another, encourage one another, and spur one another on. So may God do that work of grace among us. May we walk as family. The key is a complete surrender to Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, then the call is there for you to surrender yourself to Jesus today. If you already have and you're following, the call is to recommit your life to him and to holiness, to a walk of purity. Amen.
Let's stand for prayer. So, Father, we thank you again for your abundant grace. We thank you for sending Jesus for our salvation while we were yet sinners. It's because of your love, Father, that Jesus came. It's because of your love, Jesus, that you came and that you gave your life for us. You took our sin upon yourself. Thank you. So that we would not live separate from you, but that we would walk in communion with you and experience the fullness of life. Forgive us, Father. We fail so often. And I pray that each person here would listen to the promptings of your Holy Spirit today and take the steps that you are calling them to take for freedom for holiness, for wholeness, for healing. In Jesus' name, amen. Ted is going to lead us in song. There's a number of ways to respond today. Um, You can text the number in your bulletin. You can come forward for prayer. Um, Maybe you need prayer in this area of sexual purity. Maybe you need prayer in another area. Feel free to come for prayer. The prayer team is at the front. You may go on, want to go back to the welcome center. Let's take time for worship and prayer in the presence of God.